Welcome to the Say the Word podcast, where we'll dig into words and language as tools for curiosity. I'm your host, Cindy Givinoli, and together we're going to explore how language is used in literature, memoir, poetry, and all kinds of fiction and nonfiction to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. again. I am going to dive right in today and see if I can keep this episode on the shorter side since the last few have teetered at or just over my 30-minute goal. And I hope you'll forgive me, but I have tried to record this episode like five times and it just keeps hailing every single time I hit the record button. So if you hear some pitter-patter of little um, ice balls on the roof, that is what's going on here today. So, getting to it. Today's excerpt is from John Paul Brammer's memoir and essays, Ola Poppy, How to Come Out in a Walmart Parking Lot and Other Life Lessons. The memoir is a combination of moments from Brammer's own life and letters he responded to in his wildly popular LGBTQ plus and Latino advice column, Ola Poppy. It is, as David Sedaris put it, both wise and charming. In it, he deals with questions of racial and cultural identity, his own journey of being queer and mixed race in a rural and tolerant town in America's heartland to becoming, quote, the Chicano Carrie Bradshaw of his generation. I love that. It's funny and heartbreaking and enlightening, and I encourage you to give his work either in this book or on his Substack platform a look, and I will, of course, link both in the show notes. So I have talked about this here before and recently, and I don't want to harp on it, but I do just want to say again that I am committed to sharing the voices of folks whose demographics, communities, racial and gender identities, etc. are different from my own. I'm also always looking for ways to connect the small passages I pull from the work to big universal questions and ways of showing up in the world and in our lives. I never want to diminish the importance of the larger context of the pieces I choose or the unique voices of the authors whose work I'm sharing here. And as always, if you think I'm missing the mark, I do encourage you to let me know. And I do, of course, always appreciate it when that can be done with some common courtesy. So let's jump in. This is from John Paul Brammer's Memoir and Essays. Hola, Poppy. How to come out in a Walmart parking lot and other life lessons. People seek advice for this reason. The overwhelming notion that there are incorrect and correct choices to be made. Bad things have to happen. You learn from them and come out on the other side without letting those experiences or their ghosts join you and cloud your judgment. But one thing I've learned, and I've learned it more solidly than maybe I've learned anything else, is that humans are incapable of looking at anything clearly. Even the facts of our own lives. We can only hold a few at any given time, and they shift. 
They slip through our fingers. They rearrange themselves into new shapes and conspire to tell a different story. Mm, So, okay, this excerpt is a mere four sentences, but there is just so much I want to say. So to keep me on track, let's just begin at the beginning. Brammer says that people seek advice so that they can basically analyze their choices as correct or incorrect and figure out how to make those choices useful, how to, as he says, come out on the other side without letting those experiences or their ghosts join you and cloud your judgment. Now, he spends the rest of the passage talking about how humans are incapable of looking at things clearly, which of course I love. And before we dig into those words specifically, I just want to say that this reminds me again of our conversation back in episode 14 when we talked about Matt Haig's novel, The Midnight Library, and the idea that we tend to look back on our choices with both the clarity of hindsight and also some mistaken memory around what led to our choices. If you recall, we talked about the way we tend to assign only the most ideal outcomes to the paths that we didn't take, and how that's not always a very fair or realistic way to consider the correctness of our decisions. Now, if you missed that, definitely go back and hit it up because it is definitely one of my favorites. Now, I'm going to leave that there for now because the meat of what I want to talk about today are these last two sentences. Again, he says, But one thing I've learned, and I've learned it more solidly than maybe I've learned anything else, is that humans are incapable of looking at anything clearly. Even the facts of our own lives, we can only hold a few at any given time, and they shift. They slip through our fingers. They rearrange themselves into new shapes and conspire to tell a different story. Man, this is such a powerful idea and one worth really digging around in. Now, I think there are two important ways of thinking about these words. First, we can see them in terms of the facts of our lives themselves remaining unchanged in our memories, but the perspectives we bring to those facts can make it so that they rearrange themselves into new shapes and conspire to tell a different story. I think the simplest version of this is what happens for most of us as an inherent part of getting older. I'm going to turn 45 this month, and I was just talking to a friend about this experience of sort of looking up to discover ourselves plunked squarely in the midst of middle age. She has kids, and we were just kind of joking that we are way cooler than our parents were when we were the age that her kids are now. And then we realize that we are both a solid five to 10 years older than our parents were when we were that age. There was a sort of hilarious shock to realize how young our parents really were compared to what we as children believed them to be, right? Like when you're 12, there is little to no difference between an adult who's 35 or 45 or, you know, 85, right? But at 45 now, it shifts the way I think of the memories I have of my parents back then. It shifts my expectations of how they, quote, should have handled certain things, what it was reasonable to expect them to know and understand. There's suddenly so much more grace and compassion to be found, right? As a child, I thought that they had all the answers, 
But now I'm older than they were then, and I know how few answers in life I feel sure of. The facts haven't changed. They were a specific age. The choices they made were made. But my own change in perspective alters the shape that those facts take in my life and allows them to conspire to tell a different story. I mean, this happens a lot, right? Okay, so I want to just put a pin in that for now and circle back in just a sec. Okay, now the second way of thinking of this, and we're going to spend a minute here because it feels huge to me, is the idea that not only are we not able to see things in our lives clearly from a perspective standpoint, but that arguably those very facts of our lives themselves are what slip through our fingers, rearrange themselves, and conspire to tell a different story. Now, when I started thinking about this, the term fallibility of memory immediately came to mind. And I recalled a two-part discussion about this very idea that Malcolm Gladwell explored on his podcast, Revisionist History. As always, I will definitely link those two episodes in the show notes. And Honestly, I cannot recommend them highly enough. They're so good. Also, also, this is a totally unrelated side note. Bear with me. But in the first episode, Gladwell begins after introducing a famous harmonica player named Larry Adler. He says, I have to admit I'd never heard of him until I was rooting around one day in the oral history archives at the New York Public Library. I ran across this interview, listened to it for a few moments, and was about to give up when Adler began to tell the story of his affair with Ingrid Bergman back when she was considered the most beautiful actress in the world. I cannot express the level of my delight in the sentence, I was rooting around in the oral history archives at the New York Public Library. I mean, come on. I feel like Malcolm Gladwell is a perfect example of how to build a wildly successful career on professional curiosity, right? Okay, I just had to share that. Anyway, back to why I even bring this up. Now, in the first of the two episodes entitled A Polite Word for Liar, Gladwell begins wading into the idea of fallible memory by examining the differing accounts of two men, friends, who recalled a raid on a house full of Nazis very differently. And near the end of the episode, he says, When we encounter conflicts in memory, we want to label one party as a liar. We want to make a judgment. This strategy is authentic. This strategy is dubious. Adler is the egotist. Whites is the evasive one. But why? Why can't we just accept that all of us deal with the uncertainty of our experiences in different ways? Memory does not reveal character. That's our mistake. Mm. All of us deal with uncertainty, the uncertainty of our experiences in different ways. Memory does not reveal character. That's a really big idea, right? And coming back to our passage from today, let's just revisit those four sentences of Brammer's with Gladwell's words in mind. Brammer says, People seek advice for this reason, the overwhelming notion that there are incorrect and correct choices to be made. Bad things have to happen. You learn from them and come out on the other side without letting those experiences or their ghosts join you and cloud your judgment. But one thing I've learned, and I've learned it more solidly than maybe I've learned anything else, is that humans are incapable of looking at anything clearly. Even the facts of our own lives, we can only hold a few at any given time, and they shift. They slip through our fingers. They rearrange themselves into new shapes and conspire to tell a different story. 
Now, the idea we have as a culture that there is only truth and lies and that memories that contradict or that shift over time means someone is lying is part of what Brammer seems to be saying people seek advice for, to categorize their choices or maybe the way they remember their choices as correct or incorrect, or at the very least, how to move on from our experiences without letting them haunt us or impact our judgment. But as Gladwell asks, why can't we just accept that all of us deal with the uncertainty of our experiences in different ways? This lends credence to Brammer's point. Humans are incapable of looking at anything clearly, even the facts of our lives. And in the second episode of Gladwell's discussion on memory, entitled Free Brian Williams, he argues that this is true especially around the facts of our own lives. He looks again at the question of the fallibility of our own memories, and he pulls in researcher William Hurst to expound. Hurst, a psychologist, and his colleague Elizabeth Phelps conducted a 10-year study on the accuracy of people's memories of 9-11, which is something called a flashbulb memory, a recollection of an emotionally charged event and the experience that these events are seared into memory as if they were flash photos a flashbulb memory. Now, Hurst and Phelps discovered, as Hurst discusses with Gladwell in the podcast, that over the 10-year span, there was an average 60% decline in memory consistency, meaning that 60% of the answers that study participants gave for the same several questions about their memories of 9-11 changed over time. But their confidence in the truth of their answers was sky high. Oh my gosh, this is so fascinating. And I I just cannot encourage you highly enough to go listen to both episodes. And if you are extra curious, even dive into Hearst and Phelps study, which of course I will link all of this in the show notes. But I want to pull us back to Brammer's passage here. His last sentence is just a full acknowledgement of this fallibility, right? He says, even the facts of our own lives, we can only hold a few at any given time And they shift, they slip through our fingers, they rearrange themselves into new shapes and conspire to tell a different story. Now, in light of Hearst and Phelps' study, this in itself is an actual fact. The way we recall the facts of our own lives are liable to change by 60% over just a 10-year span, shifting, slipping through our fingers, maybe even conspiring to tell a different story. And it's not because we're all a bunch of pathological liars trying to pull a fast one on everyone we meet. We recall the new shapes, the different stories, with total sincerity sincerity, and confidence. Okay, so <laughs> you have to know by now, right, that I L-O-V-E love nerding out on language. And a few months ago, I came across this word, confabulation. Let me just read its definition for you. Confabulation refers to the production or creation of false or erroneous memories without the intent to deceive, sometimes called honest lying. Alternatively, confabulation is a falsification of memory by a person who believes he or she is genuinely communicating truthful memories. These false memories may consist of exaggerations of actual events, inserting memories of one event into another time or place, recalling an older memory but believing it took place more recently, filling in gaps in memory, or the creation of a new memory of an event that never occurred. 
Now, the usual context for this word is a medical one, and the term usually is used to describe someone who's experienced a traumatic brain injury for which this is a side effect. But that is not the only usage this word is limited to. It's not, it's not a term of art. It's not solely a medical term. And I think there's an argument to be made that we are all confabulators to some extent, right? I think this is part of what Brammer is offering us in these words, that part of the human experience is our general fallibility and that that experience is universal. Whether it's a change in perspective and understanding that alters how we view the facts of our lives, or it's the actual fallibility of our own memories that shifts the facts themselves, Brammer asserts that as humans, we are incapable of looking at anything clearly. Incapable, as in actually not capable. Now, while this may at first sound harsh, I don't read it that way at all. It sounds to me like an invitation to stay curious, to stay open to other ways of thinking about an old memory or letting go of the tight grip we might have of our confidence that our version of a truth is the only correct one to be had. I want to leave you with one more digression. In one of her recent columns for her isolation journal, Substack, Suleika Jaoud refers to a conversation with the poet Marie Howe, you know, whose poetry is the subject of episode 27, hurry. Now, Suleika says, I don't know is fertile terrain. So often we believe we should know. We look around at everyone else thinking they know, and we pretend to know, and we try to wrench ourselves into knowing. But there's so much possibility in not knowing. Admitting that we don't know acknowledges that we're all here to learn. They were all forever students. From there, you can take one step forward. With openness and curiosity, you can notice, you can study, and you can start to find the way. Mm, you know I love that, right? Fallible memory and changes in perspective are part of what makes us, as human beings, incapable of seeing anything clearly. The few facts that we can hold in our hands at a given moment are slippery, have a tendency to shift and change shape. We are all confabulators to some extent, honestly lying about facts that have conspired to tell a different story of our lives. So we stay open, we stay curious, we hold space for grace around those facts and dwell in the possibility it affords us, the infinite possibility of all those different stories. Again, today's passage is from John Paul Brammer's memoir, Hola Papi, How to Come Out in a Walmart Parking Lot and Other Life Lessons. And you can find the link to that and all the other things I've referenced today in the show notes at cinegivinoli.com backslash podcast. I do have one quickie announcement before I dive into the listener contributions this week. I just wanted to let you know that I have decided to publish this podcast on an every other week schedule as opposed to every week. I know I've mentioned this here before, but I am a one-woman show over here, and this is something I do for fun. It is not my paid work, so I fit it in between other projects. I love making it, and I appreciate your patience as I continue to figure out how to offer it regularly while still keeping up with all of my other obligations. So thank you so much for being here and for listening in. Now, today's listener contribution is from Juliana G, and she says... My daughter and I recently read the book, The Girl Who Drank the Moon by Kelly Barnhill, and we read it together. 
She just turned 11, and I wonder how much longer this ritual of bedtime reading will continue to be a part of our lives. Knowing these experiences are numbered make them that much more precious to me. We really enjoyed this book, and I feel like there, there were a lot of quotable passages, but this was the one that has really stayed with me, the quote. Everything you see is in the process of making or unmaking or dying or living. Everything is in a state of change. And Juliana says, change is hard even when it's good. And I just love the way the author put this here. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, Juliana. I really appreciate this. It reminds me of way back in episode two when we talked about Octavia Butler's parable of the sower and the idea of God as change. I love that you and your daughter are reading together and that this has been a part of your relationship. It's so beautiful, as is your commitment to being present in your own changes. So thank you again, Juliana. I also loved this book, and it occurred to me with her quote that it's been a while since we did a middle grade book. So you know what? We're doing The Girl Who Drank the Moon next time. So until then, be sure to stay curious out there. That's it for this episode of the Say the Word podcast, where we explore how language is used in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. Be sure to share and subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and I would so appreciate it if you would go ahead and leave a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Cindy Givinoli, and I'll see you next week on Say the Word. Say the Word.